When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I am your host, Simon Brooks, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and bring you back safely. We are in winter here in New England. We've had our first snowstorm with 32 inches of snow, and the ground, if not frozen, is very close to it. Streams are partially covered with ice, if not completely. And where there are falls or cascades, there are these wonderful patterns. The sun was peeking over the horizon, casting an orange glow. And so after layering up with long johns and thermal undershirt, flannel shirt and winter trousers, and with Mo in her own jacket, we set off out into the woods, camera in hand. There is a silence there at this time of year in the woods. Construction ceases, pretty much. People stay in more, and that leaves the sounds of nature. The ever-present blue jays, the crows echoing through the woods, chipmunks and squirrels shouting down at me and Mo, the grumble of water hidden beneath the ice, the slow tread in the snow, and Mo's tags jangling. Heading in between the trees, the silence grew deeper. I felt like I was in Narnia. The snow muffled almost all sounds. Even Mo's tags seemed silent. Coming to the stream, we followed the parallel path packed down by snowshoeing. At one of the tiny falls where the ice didn't cover the whole stream, there were these baubles of ice, rows of them hanging down. They were magical. I rolled the camera bag off my shoulder and pulled out my camera. It already had the wide-angle zoom lens, my favourite, and could capture what I was seeing. I thought about using the tripod, but the water was so clear and the colour of the rocks beneath so wonderful, I decided against it and just handheld the shoot. I heard Mo take off after a chipmunk. I could hear the persistent chatter and Mo's low grumble and the footfalls in the snow. I knelt down, focused the camera on the baubles, and one of them started to move. I zoomed in, not as tight as I wanted, it didn't go that close, but I got ready to capture the splash of it dropping into the stream. Arms tucked in, body tight, fingers relaxed. Deep breath. It swung gently, a fraction this way and a fraction that way, barely visible, but it became more and more pronounced. It wasn't really swinging, but twisting almost like a caterpillar coming out of its chrysalis. The ice was bending. I reached into the bag with one hand, not taking my eye off the ice bauble. Fingers feeling around for a longer lens, I grabbed one and fumbled to get the caps off, still looking through the camera, one finger on the shutter. The first teller for this episode is fellow Brit Richard Martin. Richard now lives in Germany and also works in Asia. This story from the Arab culture is a story about brains. 
Enjoy this great trickster story. Once upon a time, there was a man who, looking around the world, saw that it was true. Allah in heaven had given some men more money, but Allah had certainly given him more brains. And so, was it not clear that he should use his brains to get some of the money from the others? Soon his plan was ready. He had built a house on the outskirts of the city, a small house with no windows, just one door. Then he went to one of the richest merchants in the city, a man well known for his love of secrets uh, and his inability to keep one himself. My friend, he cried, my friend, I have come to you as the most worthy citizen of our city. I must tell you something, but something you must promise not to breathe a word about. A secret. I, I shall say nothing, of course. Well, my friend, then I can tell you, not long ago, in a dream, the prophet himself, may peace be on his name, the prophet himself came to me, told me to build a small house on the outskirts of the city, for he was going to come here for one day, one day when he could be seen only by all who were pure and noble and worthy, all others to them he would remain invisible. My friend, the house is built, but I am poor. Uh, I come to you and beg you, give me a carpet that the house may be worthy of his presence. Of course, but when does he intend to come? He told me, my friend, on the first day of the eighth month. The first day of the eighth month? Why, that is tomorrow, yes. Give me your carpet, I beg you. Well, as you can imagine, soon it was that the man left carrying a magnificent carpet and the merchant hurried off to the coffee house. And by the end of the day, all in the city had heard the news. The next day, the man walked slowly towards the small house. Behind him, a crowd gathering came, unlocked the door, and in he went. Those outside, there was a sound, waiting, 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 until with a gasp, they heard a voice from inside call, let those who are pure and worthy enter one by one, but tell all others they shall see nothing. The door opened once more. The man stood there. All who in their heart of hearts know they are unworthy may leave this place now. Others, the others may enter one by one. Of course, in the crowd, nobody moved neither left nor stepped forward. They were looking left and right. Uh, to see who was going to move first. 
Soon it was that all eyes seemed to be resting on the mullah from the mosque in the city. And as the mullah felt the eyes of all upon him, well, he had to step forward. I desire to enter. Then, if in your heart of hearts you know you are worthy, In as he heard the door close behind him, in the light of the lamp, he could see a magnificent carpet. In the centre, he could see a cushion, which was pushed down where someone was or had been sitting. But he could see nothing else. When the mullah looked and thought, oh, a fraud, that sinner! But as he said those words to himself, why, the memory of one of his own sins came to his mind. A, a small sin, admittedly, uh, but a sin nonetheless. Uh, and then a second and a third began to fear, but perhaps that is why I see nothing. As he turned and left the room, From the crowd, a voice called, What did you see? And the mullah realised, if he said nothing, why then how could he continue to be a mullah? Uh, he would have to leave, leave the city. Uh, so he did what he had to say. Uh, I have seen the prophet, peace be on his name. Uh, he gave me wise advice, uh, advice which must be secret. Uh, but now I must leave and pray. And he hurried away. Then the merchant stepped up. He too stepped in. He too saw his magnificent carpet, the cushion, but nothing else. Yet when he left the house and stepped outside, because he knew what to say, I have seen the prophet peace beyond his head. And so it was. Each and every man who stepped in, they stepped out saying the same words. At last, at last the king arrived, for he had heard what was happening. And when the king stepped in, the king too saw the carpet, uh, the king too saw a cushion. But the king stepped out and knew what to say. At last, when all the crowd followed the king back into the city, the man himself quickly stepped into the house once more and soon after came out locking the door in his arms. He seemed to be carrying something. And so he followed the crowd back to the palace where he came to the king, your majesty, the prophet, peace be on his name, before he returned to heaven, he took off his robe, told me to take this and give it to the worthiest, most honourable man in the kingdom, who would then reward me with 10,000 gold pieces. Uh, uh, Your Majesty, I'm sure 
It could only have been intended for you. Well, the king, he looked, see nothing. But immediately he heard all the courtiers standing around declaiming, oh, what a wonderful robe, what splendid material, what, what, what wonderful colours. And so the king agreed with them. Yes, yes. Your majesty, please allow me to help you try it on. And so the king was obliged to take off his own robe uh, and allow the man to help him into the robe from heaven. And so the man smoothed it down over the king's shoulders and adjusted the folds of the garment and then he fall just right. <laughs> uh, he, he even stepped forward and oh, took off a little hair from the material, <laughs> your majesty. <laughs> to the sound of applause from the courtiers as the king walked around, feeling by now a little cool. He said, I shall take this to somewhere which is safe, for it is not for everyday use. And he slowly walked out of the chamber and hurried to the queen. My dear, um, Take this magnificent new robe and uh, have it put somewhere safe. A robe? <laughs> You're not wearing a robe. Is it right that a king should parade half naked in front of his courtiers? <laughs> oh, evil, wicked woman, of course you can see nothing, for this is only visible to those who are worthy and honourable in their heart. Uh, I have seen it and all my courtiers have seen it. Uh, what? Only visible to the honourable? <laughs> in that case, you have definitely not seen it, for I am your wife. I know you better than you do yourself. And, and, and as for those courtiers, why, they are the biggest pack of sinners in the land. King began to think. He said, yes, it did surprise me that the finance minister, for example, uh, claimed to see it, but he assured me he did. Um, if that is the case, said the Queen, let me prove whether it's there or not. Here. And she picked up some water. The water from God will remain on the cloak, the robe of heaven. And she dashed it down at the king. And of course, there's no water on the robe whatsoever. And so it was. The king realised he had been tricked. But, my dear, I, 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 I have agreed to pay the man who gave it to me 10,000 gold pieces. <laughs> Laughed the queen. <laughs> and told the king what to do. And so it was that when soon after the king returned to the court chamber, he was carrying in his arms something which was clearly very heavy. He called the man to him, my friend, look, today I have received two gifts from heaven, for just now an angel appeared, bringing me this sack 
of gold, for heaven did not wish my treasury to be burdened by paying you your reward. <laughs> Let me count out the money now. And as the king did so, he said, of course, gold from heaven, anyone who is unable to see it, not only are they unworthy in their heart, they are unworthy to live. And so when the king had finished, the man thanked the king, drew the money to him, put it into his pockets and left, thinking, yes, Allah may have given me more brains than some men, but I should never forget the brains he has given some women. Today's fairy tale sponsor is Fairy Godmother's Haberdashery, Stitch in Time. Known throughout the kingdom for her tailoring of unique and specialised work, from the finest of embroidered dresses, brocaded girdles, to fine princely suits and invisibility cloaks. Fairy Godmother does it all. Need a ball gown? Look no further than Stitch in Time. Headgear? She's got it. Glass slippers and dancing shoes? Yep. Hunting corsets for high adventures? You can bet your last doubloon she does. Fairy Godmother does it all. Working closely with the Shoemaker's Elves and the Mad Hatter, Fairy Godmother can outfit anyone at any time for anything. Been let down by others? Found yourself parading around in the altogether? Call Fairy Godmother's Stitch in Time now. The Emperor, Cinderella, Gandalf, Nancy, Isamboshi and many others are regular patrons. Stitch in Time for your tailorly needs. Did you know that all patrons of the podcast have the unique ability to wake up with perfect eyebrows? And they are patrons of the arts. You can have that too for as little as $4 a month. Patrons receive an extra story each week, get to peek behind the scenes. They receive postcards from the podcast throughout the year and chances to chat with Rachel Ann Harding live. New rewards to be added in the future. Your generous support allows this podcast to reach bigger audiences and grow. A big thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. To join the story supporters, go to storystorypodcast.com for more information. And if you want to hear us make up fairy facts about you and thank you on an episode, then become a supporter now. This podcast is also brought to you by my podcast, Conversations with Storytellers. If you're interested in not only the stories, but the storytellers who are the keepers of the tales, then you might want to check out this podcast. Many of the storytellers you hear here are guests on Conversations with Storytellers. Often deep, injected with fun, always interesting, Conversations with Storytellers will bring you closer to those you know and the stories that you hear. Changing my position slightly so I could put the longer lens between my knees, I began to remove the wide-angle lens. As I worked quickly to get one lens off and the other lens on, the bauble swung up and over the ledge of ice it hung from and released. It wobbled a little. 
but then did not slide over the ice like I thought it might. A couple of arms and legs popped out, and the top, the narrow end, shook and grew into a little head. I froze. I had a lens in each hand and a camera hanging from my neck. I tried slowly to get the long lens on, but most tags gave off a little jangle not too far away. The little ice creature turned and saw me there. A look of alarm ran over its face, and it took off into the woods on the other side of the stream. I dropped the wide angle into the bag, stood as I snapped on the long lens, but the creature was gone. It was either hiding or blended in, and maybe was super fast and well, well gone. I let out a sigh as Mo bumped into the back of my legs, panting, and looked up at me with those big, beautiful amber eyes of hers. Oh well, maybe another dawn I will see this again and get a shot. Until then, I have this wonderful story that I just shared with you. Oh, talking of stories, Anne Shimojima is our second storyteller today and is incredible. Anne is a third-generation Japanese-American born in Chicago. This story is about one of my favourite people, the tea maker. Cuddle up, relax, and listen to Anne's telling of the tea master. Lord Yamano Uchi had in his household a tea master, an expert in Chanoyu, the ritual ceremony of making and serving tea. The Lord loved the tea ceremony. He would enter his small tea house where the tea master awaited him. He would admire the hanging scroll and fresh flowers that the tea master had so carefully chosen. The two men would sit together, and the tea master would begin the ceremony using careful, precise movements in the quiet room. He would fold the cloth carefully and clean the tea scoop. He would pour hot water into the teacup to warm it, empty out the cup, and dry it. He would carefully scoop the tea into the cup, add hot water, take the whisk, and whisk the tea. He would turn the bowl carefully so the front would face the Lord, and he would present it. And as the Lord sipped his tea, the outside world with its cares and worries would melt away, and he would be at peace. The Lord held his tea master in such high regard that he allowed the tea master to wear the robes and carry the two swords of a samurai warrior, and whenever he traveled, the Lord would take the tea master along with him. One day, the tea master was walking down the street on an errand for the Lord when he came to a small bridge. At the bridge he saw a ronin, a masterless samurai. The samurai's eyes narrowed. He was something of a bully, and he saw a small older man wearing a samurai's robes who did not look very strong or bold, and the samurai decided to challenge him. Hey, who are you to wear such robes? Oh, sir, I am only a tea master. I wear these robes on order of my lord. Well, then, responded the samurai, then you should know how to use your swords. I challenge you to a duel. The tea master's heart dropped. He was no swordsman. He knew that such a duel would end with his death. But to refuse the duel would be to dishonor the Lord. He could only hope to die with dignity. 
"'Please, sir,' he said, "'I am on an errand. "'Let me finish, and I shall return to you later today. "'You have my word that I shall return.' "'The Samurai agreed. "'The tea-master continued on his way, his heart heavy. "'After the errand was done, "'he saw a building that was a school of swordsmanship, "'and he decided to talk to the master swordsman "'and ask for his advice on how to die as a Samurai would. "'He was admitted.' and he and the master swordsman sat together. The tea-master explained his situation. The swordsman said, Hmm, usually men come for advice on how to fight, not how to die. But you say that you are a tea-master. Please, prepare me a cup of tea. The tea-master was happy to do so. It might be his last chance to perform the ceremony that he so loved. The swordsman had all the utensils, so after the water was heated, the tea-master began. Slowly his mind focused on his task until every cell of his being was at one with the task of serving tea. There was no other thought in his mind. The swordsman sipped his tea thoughtfully and then said, I have it. You should go to your duel with the same state of mind as in the tea ceremony. You should be focused. Greet the samurai as you would an honored guest. Take off your outer robe and fold it carefully. Take your long sword in two hands. When the samurai gives his attack cry, strike. You need do nothing more. The tea master bowed and thanked the swordsman. He went back to the bridge. The samurai waited for him, but the man he saw coming seemed completely different. The tea master walked calmly, his eyes clear. He bowed, took off his outer robe, and folded it carefully. He took his long sword in both hands and stood ready. The samurai did not see the man he expected before him. He saw a formidable opponent, and he realized his error. He knelt, bowed, and gave his apology, and then he stood and left quickly. The tea-master lowered his sword and went home and for the rest of his life he carried on the tradition of the tea ceremony with dedication, grace, and a grateful heart. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Share the love, find Martin and Anne on the internet, and tell them you heard them on the podcast, and now you want to hear them tell more stories. You can connect with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast or me, Simon Brooks, on Instagram, at Simon M. Brooks, and on Facebook, and on my website, Simon Brooks Storyteller. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor was Corey Griffin. Thank you, Corey. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a seed by Laura Packer and my own walks and photographs in the woods with Mo. You can visit the visual candy from the fairy tale sponsor ads on the Story Story podcast Instagram and Facebook page. While you are there, let us know a favourite story you have heard or the favourite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. This podcast was made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or join the mailing list to get podcast goodies or write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. You'll hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door 
And there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.